Hi, and welcome to BOSS, a research podcast by the CBS Sustainability Center. The name BOSS stands for the business of society, which is kind of a guiding principle for the work that we do. As the name suggests, we're interested in how business and society interrelate and what business responsibilities are towards society. In this podcast, we will share, discuss and reflect on CSR and sustainability-related issues through conversations with researchers and practitioners. My name is Sarah Netta. I'm Center Manager at Copenhagen Business School and the host of this podcast. Featuring our colleagues, we aim to inspire you to reflect and take part in the discussion on how to transition towards more sustainable practices for organizations and government and for you and me. Hi, Clément. Hi, Sarah. And thank you so much for joining me in our podcast studio today. I'm looking very much forward to hear more about your work, especially about apprenticeship training. But before we get to talk about that, could you give our audience the opportunity to learn a little bit more about you? Sure. My name is Clément Brebion. I'm a postdoc here at CBS, Copenhagen Business School. I've been here in Denmark for three years now, so time flies. Uh, I'm originally from France. Uh, I did my studies in France at the Paris School of Economics. And yeah, so happily living in, in Copenhagen these days. <laughs> Clément, on your profile, it reads that you're an applied labor economist. What does that actually mean? Yeah, it does. So, uh, like the applied part means that I'm working with uh, with data. So I use big uh, data sets, administrative data sets, so stuff that are collected by the states through social security uh, records, for instance. And I use those data sets to explore uh, labor questions, such as you just mentioned uh, issues on apprenticeship training, but also I also work on unemployment insurance, collective bargaining, so these sort of things. And I'm an economist because I try to understand. The, uh, in my case, the causal impact of policies on individuals' behaviors, firms' behaviors in particular, but also workers. Yeah. How, um, sounds stupid, but how did you end up as an economist? How did I end up as an economist? That's a good question. As you, you just heard, like economics um, involved a lot of math. My background was really uh, math heavy I, at school. I was good at that. So I, I enjoyed it. And at some point, I thought that it would, nice to, would be nice to like, Use that tool to understand better the the world, basically, and like the real world. So hence the the economics. Yeah, yeah. And I'm happy with that. I mm. think it works pretty well. Yeah. You know, you don't have to be in our line of work. You don't have to work in the educational sector to know that there's um, there's a lot of turmoil. There are a lot of heated debates on on how to improve the school to work transition for um, for young adults. And very often in these discussions, there's a, there's a focus on the student side and there's a focus on how to increase the application rates for vocational training and and education but we rarely talk about the company side how to get more companies to to adopt this and how to to sign up to this in your research you have focused quite a great deal on apprenticeship training but before we jump into the 
deep end and um, how this actually plays out in different contexts and factors um, that, that factor in here. Let's take a step back and, and, and start d defining what is apprenticeship training actually. Yeah, so apprenticeship training is really a historical way of training people. So think of what was happening 500 years ago. There would be one a young person that would go to the company, to the employer, often lives on the, on the premises of, of, the, of the company, actually, to get trained as a, whatever they, 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 he was going to be trained as. And the state didn't play such a big role in the education system, right? Nowadays, of course, things have changed. And uh, apprenticeship really uh, keeps this company-based uh, training part. So you would spend as a tr as a trainee today, as an apprentice today, half of your time, more or less, it depends on the institutions, of course, in the company as a trainee, and the other half is spent at school. And it's really something that is integrated. So we'd have employers' associations, unions, the state. Again, it depends to what extent it depends on uh, the institutions, uh, the, the the context. But you would have some bodies that are uh, managing the apprenticeship track overall. That means both what happens in the companies and the part that happens uh, at school. Yeah, what makes apprenticeship training such an interesting topic for you for you to work on i mean what what intrigued you when starting to to work with this yeah so the key, the key word here is probably germany so as a, as a french person uh, so i grew up in france and france is really struggling that's also the case of many countries sweden the us as well with a very high youth to adult unemployment ratio so it means that you the youth between let's say 15 to 24 are much more often unemployed than uh, the adults that's a big issue it's been there since forever nearly And what the French government has been doing for ages is really uh, looking at what happens in Germany, like the big neighbor. And they can see that in Germany, the youth to adult unemployment ratio is very low. It used to be close to one. And nowadays it has increased a bit, but still in 2018, it was about 1.5. Whereas in France, it was 2.1 or 2.2. So there is a big difference. It has been a big difference. It has been ongoing forever. And the big question was, why? What can we do in France to be closer to Germany as for this, uh, this, this success. And what the French government has noticed at the same time is that apprenticeship training is huge in Germany. So you have uh, about half of the students, both in France and in Germany, that, took, that take vocational education trainings, but two-thirds of them are doing an apprenticeship training in Germany, whereas the, this figure is only of one-third in, in France. The rest take full-time education uh, vocational trainings. So France thought, the French government thought, and I'm, I'm, I'm really caricaturing a bit here, but it's, it's really the story. The French government thought, well, it could be a good idea to develop apprenticeship training in France because apparently in Germany, that could be the reason why Germany is doing so well as for uh, youth employment. And so that's really the background of my, of my research. This was really like the, this say that Germany was doing so great in terms of youth uh, employment thanks to its apprenticeship system. But this was not really based on facts. Like, It wasn't clear why that would be the case and whether it was actually the reason. So there is a correlation, but is there a causality? Unsure, right? So that's what drove me into the into the this topic. Yeah. And so in the work that you have done, you said there is there is a correlation, but is there a causality? Is there so a causality or not? Well, it's complicated. So uh, I have this uh, article that, that was published in 2019. Um, that's where I study, I investigate whether indeed apprenticeship training helps, improves school-to-work transitions. And I focus both on France and Germany. I use survey data, so I identify students that just finished school, and I try to uh, measure how well they do on the labor market 12 months later, three years later. And I relate 
their success to their uh, past studies, right? And what is a bit tricky here is that it could be that apprentices do better, not so much because of the apprenticeship track, but just because they were better to start with, right? And therefore they would do very well on the labor market, but because they were super good to start with. So there is a, a technique in economics that's called an instrumental viable method, where we try to find a way to predict whether one starts an apprenticeship independently of his own characteristics, if you want. So I do this, I use the, uh, the, 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 the size of apprenticeship in a region, the bigger apprenticeship in your region, the more likely you are as a person to start apprenticeship training. But this shouldn't affect directly your, uh, your outcomes on the labor market, right? And what I find is that for low school achievers, so uh, apprenticeship training in, at the secondary level in France is great. It really helps them to integrate better on the labor market, especially in terms of your probability to be employed 12 months later. In Germany, the effect is negative. So for low school achievers, doing an apprenticeship instead of a full-time vocational education is not so great for you, which is unexpected in a sense, right? And the reason for that is that low school achievers in, in Germany do not receive so many written offers than good school achievers. And that's an issue because they end up on the labor market where the, uh, the external uh, employers, people that did not train them, see that on their CV they were trained as an apprentice in, uh, as a plumber in a certain company, but they were not retained, they were not kept by the employer. And the external lab, uh, employer is going to think, well, that's weird in a sense, right? That's not usual because in Germany, apprentices are normally retained uh, in, the, in, their, in their training firm by default. So this is not so great for uh, low school achievers in Germany. On the opposite in France, it's not a habit that firms retain their, uh, their apprentice to the same extent. So low school achievers are not retained often, but it's also the case of high school achievers, right? And therefore, they manage their way on the labor market as well and even better than us if they had taken a full-time vocational education uh, path. And as for higher education, so apprentices in higher education, there I find no, no impact, basically. No positive impact, and it's not uh, negative either. And that's, and that's true both in France and Germany. Uh, and that's interesting because, well, we are, apprenticeship costs a lot for, for the state, right? You have subsidies, for instance, I offer to companies. You have also the, 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 schools, the school part as well that you need to, to fund, et cetera, et cetera. And this has a cost, right? So if it's not so useful, then it raises the question of, the question of whether we should do our best to develop it at this higher edu education level or not. Yeah. I myself come from a German context and I can very much recognize what you were mentioning this element of um, I would be inclined to call it maybe also an element of loyalty in Germany there's a very strong tradition of when you're employed at a company you stay for a really long time so if you search for a new job or you switch jobs re relatively often it is something that is more or less being frowned upon or there's something wrong with you right if you if you can stay in a company for longer then there's probably something Maybe you're a rotten egg. I don't know. But but there's this element, whereas I think there's, um, for instance, in the Danish context, it's um, more common that you that you switch jobs relatively often. Is that also the case in France? So it's definitely the case uh, in Germany for, apprentice for apprenticeships. Normally, apprentices are retained by their company. It's really like the uh, one of the main pillars of the system. Apprenticeship training works so well in Germany, or has worked so well in Germany, because 
as a trainee, you start uh, you, you, as, as sorry as an apprentice, you start in a company, and you have high expectations in your probability, your chances to stay in the company afterwards and have uh, nice perspectives. In France, it's not so much the case. So French companies often you more use more often apprenticeships as cheap labor because as an apprentice, you will receive a wage. You're really a worker. You qualified as a worker in the national stats statistics, but your wage is very low. It's true both in Germany and in France. So if you do not have any constraints that applies on the firm, it's inter- it can be interesting for the firm to use like this uh, apprentice in your bakery to produce a few baguettes a day, right? And it's enough to cover its co- the, the cost of the apprentice. And then you don't have any tr- actual training perspectives for the, for the kid. You don't want to keep him afterwards or her afterwards. It's just that during the apprenticeship, it's good for you. You're making profit out of the apprentice. And we know that's not so great. So there are there has been there have been some studies where um, researchers sent the uh, exact same CV to uh, employers, so fake CVs, right? I think it was for uh, to work as a cook or as a plumber. I can't be sure. One of those CVs in one of those CVs, the guy had received uh, full had gone through a full time vocational training. In the other one, he took an apprenticeship training, but he was not retained by the company, right? And what they see is that there is really no difference between those two CVs. They have the same chances to be uh, called by the uh, employer that is looking for a qualified worker. So starting an apprenticeship without being retained is not so great in general. Yeah. Mm. But if you um, if you take this full-time vocational and education training versus the apprenticeship, will that have an effect on on the remuneration, what what you'll get as a salary afterward for a full-time position, or is that something that that you can't really see in the data? No, we can't say that. So there, I mean, I I looked into that, and there is no effect. So there is no difference between uh, so the impact of taking an apprenticeship versus a full-time education track on your wage afterwards once you're hired. There is none. Like is 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 no. There is no difference in terms of future wages. Yeah. So it's really on the employment probability that apprenticeship is great for low school achievers at the secondary level in yeah. France. Yeah. Yeah. So what is happening at the moment in France? I mean, in terms of developments in this area, um, when when this has especially meant major improvements for these low um, low school achievers, is uh, this apprenticeship training, is that something that is um, being picked more up? Also, as you mentioned, um, there's also this element of cheap labor in, in, in here as well. Um, is this being picked more up or, or how, does it, how does it play out? So there's been huge uh, changes with COVID, since COVID in France. At the time when I was working on my PhD, and I defended it in 2019, we were in a context where f- the French government was doing its best to increase the numbers of apprentices, but was completely failing. So it's, it had been like 20 years, so from 93 to 2019, that France was doing its best to reach a number of 500,000 apprentices, but with no success, really. And then COVID hit, and during COVID, uh, Macron offered huge subsidies to, appre- to, to employers of apprentices. So if you were to employ an apprentice, you would receive 6,000 euros to 8,000 euros, depending on the year and the time, for the first year and then some more euros afterwards. That was, that, that's really a big change. And with this, this subsidy that started in 2020 and was renewed since then, has been renewed since then, we can see that apprent- the number of apprentices in, in France has skyrocketed. So today, these days, it has reached about 830,000 uh, apprentices in training. And if you remember what I just said before, during about 20 years, France was struggling to reach 500,000. So it's like a completely different equilibrium that France is reaching now. 
what does it mean in, in, in for, for the apprentices? Well, it's unclear, right? This is something that has been ongoing for uh, two years and a half now. So is it the case that employers are taking advantage of, of, of labor costs that are even cheaper than they used to? So my apprentice costs me less than, they, than, than they would have the, that it would have a few years ago. So I'm hiring that person, but have no uh, intention whatsoever to keep him afterwards. It's not great. I mentioned it before. For the apprentice, or is it the case that new employers are starting to uh, hire to, to hire apprentices because they they are uh, now inclined to do so because they heard of it more more than they used to these sort of things, and therefore they are going to uh, train that uh, that person and they will think that oh actually I, I'm I'm willing to, to to keep that person afterwards and therefore I will I will I will keep him, which is great. So, in one of my uh, early work on, on, on that on apprenticeship uh, training. I have studied the, the impact of subsidies to apprenticeships back in the days. So uh, I, I consider a subsidy that was regionalized in 2005 and I see the impact of the different levels of regional subsidies on whether firms in those regions hire more or less apprentices and keep them more or less often. And what I can see is that when you increase the subsidy in a region, so you decrease labor costs in that region, firms that did not train before do not start training, so it doesn't change anything for them. And firms that used to train, they keep on going, and they train even more apprentices, so they take on more apprentices, apparently great at first sight, but they also keep them less often. So the rate, the return offers are less often there at the end of the apprenticeship, which, as I mentioned earlier, is not great, because if you remember the correspondence study that I mentioned, the CVs that were sent to, uh, to, to employers, one of a guy that took an apprenticeship training but were not kept afterwards, one of a guy that took a full-time vocational education track, well, there was no positive impact of apprenticeships on, on, on their, on their uh, employment perspective. So retention is really key. So what I found is that when you increase subsidies, you increase the take up, like the, the number of apprentices in training, but you decrease the retention rate, which is not great. So is it happening nowadays with this new COVID subsidy? Well, unclear, right? Research has to be done, but it's likely that that, that, that there is the same the same effect. Yeah. Can can you already see, um, or is it, or maybe it's also too a little too early to to see in the data? But are there any indications of whether this this is actually undermining the overall labor market because these apprentices are pushing out other slightly more expensive um, um, potential um, employees? Yeah, so that's a great question. Uh, the answer is I don't know. So that's definitely something to look into. Yes. Now, in a sense, it would be nicer to look into that with my with the reform I used, like the subsidy I used from the 2000 to 2013 because studying this during COVID is really tricky, right? At the same time as the subsidy was implemented, tons of stuff happened. So there might be some discontinuities, as we like to uh, to call them, uh, that may be used. For instance, between the age of 17 and 18, there is a change in the subsidy. Therefore, firms that used to hire those people before may hire more of them. And therefore, we can see the impact of the subsidy on labor, right? More expensive labor in those firms. There might be stuff to, to look into. But I'm always afraid of papers working on these questions really at the time of COVID because, yeah, you, it's really hard to disentangle between what comes from the subsidy and what comes from the state of the labor market in general. Mm. It can be done sometimes, but not always. Mm. Yeah. Now, we've already uh, talked a little bit about some some areas that could be interesting to to look into. I mean, what is uh, what is next for you in, in this area of of apprenticeship training what uh, what what are some of the the next steps or areas of interest for you in this regard sure so uh, if i sum up a bit where i'm at with this research i would say that 
apprenticeship training can be great for low school achievers, right? It's really those ones that you want to uh, to attract with apprenticeship training because we know that for these students, the combination of practical and uh, more uh, intellectual uh, uh, skills work best, basically. So apprenticeship training can be great for low achievers. I find it is the case in a country such as France where apprenticeship is not so well developed, but it's not the case for a country such as Germany where apprenticeship is very much developed, right? So there seems to be sort of a tipping point where apprenticeship is better and better as you develop it and then at some point, or like it's nice as you develop it, but developing it too much becomes not such a great uh, thing. So that's one side. The other side uh, that I have in mind is that apprenticeship training is great as long as the firm keeps its uh, employee uh, apprentice who turns uh, upon, upon graduation, sorry, as a standard uh, regular regular worker, right? So let's develop apprenticeship in countries where it's underdeveloped. How should we do that? Well, subsidies don't work so well because of this retention issue. So perhaps there is another way of doing it, right? So one way could be, and that's a project that I'm working on right now, to work on the matching. So if we want to increase retention rates, we want to, uh, the apprentice rate to fit well with the company, with the employer, right? So that's what I, we would call like a good match. How do we make sure that this is happening? Well, it's really at the time when the match is formed, right? When the employer receives the application. And we know that most applications, most uh, matches, right, are uh, done through informal networks. So I know I'm an employer. I have this cousin of mine that has a son that is looking for an apprenticeship. I'm going to talk to that person. Well, it works well. Then we, I'm going to hire that person as an apprentice. I'm going to call to talk to my uncle. And this person happens to have a bakery. And therefore, I'm going to start as an apprentice in that bakery. So it's really like these informal networks that predominate in uh, the matching, uh, the formation of matches. So that can be an issue because if I don't know the relevant person, I don't have a big network, or even in my network, people are not so great, but I feel obliged to hire them because it's my family, for instance, and my, the sons or the, the, the daughters of my friends, then the matches won't be so good and I won't retain the, the people, right? Or if I don't have those networks, I won't hire whatsoever. So I'm working on an experiment now where we use a website, so it's the main website in France to create those matches that identify the website identifies a list of firms that are likely to hire apprentices. And then as a student, as an applicant, you can search this map because uh, uh, firms uh, appear on the map according to the job that you want to get trained in. So I want to start a, a job as a baker. I'm going to look for uh, bakeries that are likely to hire apprentices around Paris and I'm going to send unsolicited, unsolicited applications. So we removed from that website half of the companies, right? Randomly, obviously. And we're going to, that's what we're working on now. We're going to uh, compare where the training behaviors of the company that remain on the website and the company that were removed from the website. And we did that in a smart way, or we hoped it to be smart, uh, so that we removed a different share of companies in across local labor markets. So in some local labor markets, we removed no companies. In some local labor markets, we removed 25% of the companies and in some labor markets, 75 And in some labor markets, we removed all the companies. And this allows us to see the impact of for one firm to be uh, on the website, but also the general impact of the website in the local labor market. Because sometimes firms that are, that are on the website may simply steal, in a sense, the unsolicited applications from firms that are not on the website. And then we know with our strategy, we can take that into account. That's what we call the spillover effect. Mm. 
Yes. And how do you how do you gather the data from the companies that are not on the website any longer in terms of having an overview of how many unsolicited applications they receive? Great question. So this we cannot we cannot observe it. So we 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 ran a survey asking all companies whether or not they received uh, unsolicited applications. So as many surveys we did, we received a limited number of uh, answers. So this is an insight into uh, how many uh, unsolicited applications firms that are not displayed on the website receives. But we cannot build the whole paper on that, right? So we, in a sense, we'll have information on what you just said, which is a mechanism. But uh, what we're really interested in is the outcome, which is how many apprentices they do hire, right? And if there is indeed a difference, we will expect this to come from really the website, right? Because of of, of the of the, of the uh, estimation strategy, and using the survey, we will have some insight on whether this is really about the number of unsolicited applications, which should be right. Because the, on average, the only difference between the firms that are displayed, uh, that are in the control group and in the treatment group is really whether you display on the website or not. On average, they're all the same by the sake of the randomization mm. process. Yeah. And will you then follow a, a longitudinal approach to see whether they continue to uh, to to employ these apprentices afterwards or, or what, what's in the pipeline? Yeah, exactly. So the experiment now is over. So it's been running for about a year, a bit more. So uh, and that's exactly the idea. So we're going to uh, work on uh, administrative data sets, so called again collected by national uh, institutes, that will tell us that will that you have basically a line per individual and you know who is hired where and when, and therefore you can follow those guys over time. So that's the longitudinal approach that you're mentioning. We will be able in a few years to identify to know whether the people that were hired because of the website stayed in the in the in the in the firm afterwards. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. I'm looking very much forward to, to hearing about Thanks. that. Um, Clement, before we finish up for today, there's there's a lot of um, current debates in Denmark also going on um, at the moment, um, considering how to how to increase and how to make better use of these apprenticeship uh, training, but also maybe use apprenticeship training as a pathway to higher education as entry um, elements to a uh, university degree within certain areas also. In your opinion, I mean, looking at your experience with apprenticeship training for countries who maybe not have a, a strong or that long track record when working with apprenticeship training, what would your what would your number one recommendation be when considering to implement or strengthen this? What what is kind of key here? So to develop apprenticeship training and make sure that it remains integrated in a school path. Well, what France is doing on that is simply to develop apprenticeship in higher education. Right, so you can take a master's through an apprenticeship track, but you can also take the same master's through a full-time track. Right, you have both options, and this attracts a lot of students because you get paid. Right, uh, it can it's often the company that pays for your studies, and that's nice basically for you as a student. Now, what I show in my research is that apprenticeship at that level is basically useless. You're not increasing the uh, the, the the chances of youth to, to get to get a job afterwards. It's not worse either, but it's not better. Um, so if the question is really about how to develop apprenticeship training in a system where uh, students want more and more to go to higher education, well, that's uh, I don't have an answer to that. That's really tricky. That's basically what Germany also is, is, is struggling with, right? Because the, the standard uh, traditional apprenticeship system in Germany takes place at a secondary level. And nowadays, students really want to take a higher education diploma, which means that they are less and less interested in the apprenticeship tracks. So 
yeah, to be researched, basically. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's a great, great answer. And let's, let's keep it at that. Thank you so much for taking your time, Clément. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this episode of BOSS. Are you interested in learning more about our work? Then check out our website or follow our BOSS blog. The music featured in this podcast is by Crowwender.